Christmas is easy for that to become just a habit as well. This morning you're at a Christmas service, you'll probably gather with family and friends over the next few days, and you'll do a lot of the same things that you do every year. But this morning what I want us to do is to pause and take a few minutes and think about why it is that we do all of these things. What is Christmas about? Perhaps for some of us it's about uh, Santa Claus and presents and Christmas trees and decorations. Perhaps for others of us it's time with family and certain music playing in the house and different things like that. For others perhaps it's special church services and and just uh, things that you grew up as a child doing, traditions that you've continued even to this day. For all of us it's probably a mix of some of all of these things. Often after we go through the Christmas season, we look back on it and perhaps we feel a vague sense of disappointment. I wish this had gone slightly differently. I wish I could have spent time with this person. It was too, ba- too fast, too commercialized, too something else. And we look back and we have sort of a vague sense of regret. So along those lines, both of the going through it without thinking about it and the sometimes being disappointed in it, I think it would help us to pause and think about where Christmas began. Is there a list of things that Christmas ought to be? Christmas began as something about a person. It's clear from the name that it's about Christ, as found in the Bible. And it started as a mass, a service centered on Christ. Now Christmas in its earliest form wasn't celebrated till almost 300 years after Christ. At least that's the first recorded celebration that we have from history. In America, though it was celebrated in different parts of the country somewhat sporadically, it wasn't declared a federal holiday until uh, around 1870 and set the date as December 25th. And, And certainly it's evolved since then as well. So why didn't the early church celebrate Christmas? I think there's at least three reasons. First, the Bible doesn't talk a great deal about Christ's birth in comparison with his life. One of the Gospels, Mark, doesn't even say anything about Jesus' birth. The other two only devote a few chapters to him at most. And secondly, the early church focused much more on Christ's death, burial, and resurrection than it did on his his birth. This was the main idea of the message they proclaimed, that Jesus was the one who had been raised from the dead, exalted to God's right hand. Thirdly, Christ himself commanded his followers to remember his death. We see that in both Luke 22 and 1 Corinthians 11. But he did not similarly command his followers to remember his birth. We'll talk in a minute about whether that is a good or a bad thing. But but why has Christmas changed from 1870 to 1920 to 1970 to today? I think there's a variety of factors. In the early days, certain churches perhaps wanted to oppose pagan practices. So they set up holy days to encourage people to remember and think about truth found in the Bible. Secondly, uh, in the late 1800s, an industrialized society needed a break from the, the hectic schedule. And so that's part of the movement that influenced the declaring of the federal holidays. Thirdly, stores that provide merchandise want to sell that merchandise, and this provides an opportunity for them to do so. 
And then fourthly, families became more scattered, and so there was a renewed emphasis on wanting to gather again with family. All these and many other factors led to Christmas as we know it today. Are these traditions bad? Not necessarily. Is it good to remember important truths from the Bible? Yes. And all of us, to some degree or another, uh, do certain things, form certain habits, practices, traditions to help us remember truth, to help us to follow God. Is it good to have rest? All of us grow tired, we grow weary, we need breaks. So having a holiday is a good thing from that perspective. Is buying things automatically bad? No, as long as it's not driven by greed and excess, and certainly we can keep those things in mind. And is gathering with family a good thing? Yes, I think we would say that it is. Family is a good gift, a blessing of God. Even so, our goal here, as it is every Sunday, is to ask this question, what does the Bible say? And while I would not condemn anyone for celebrating Christmas, for gathering with family, for decorating, for doing presents, for all of these things, these can be enjoyable times for us to participate in. The most important thing is that we know Christ as revealed in the Bible. And so turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 2, if you're not already there. It's page 44 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. Uh, they did something a little bit tricky. They numbered from the beginning, and then they started over the numbering. So it's the second page 44 in the back half. And from this section of the Bible, I think we'll see three truths. The first is that the birth of Jesus fulfilled God's plan. The second is that the angels proclaimed God's message. And the third is that the shepherds listened to and obeyed that message. Let's start by seeing how Jesus' birth fulfilled God's plan. Now, Jesus is, of course, the Christ in Christmas. We'll see that in verse 11, where it says, In the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then verse 21, his name was called Jesus. So Jesus and Christ are the same person as described in this passage. How does this story begin? Well, a tax brings Jesus' Mary, Jesus' mother Mary to Bethlehem. This decree from Caesar Augustus, the ruler in Rome, that there would be a census of the inhabited earth. And the time of this taking place is given. And I think the thing that we see first from these few verses is that God uses even pagan leaders to accomplish his purpose. There are examples of this throughout the history of God's people Israel. Pharaoh, unwillingly, but at God's constraining of him, sends the people of Israel back to the promised land of Canaan. Secondly, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon conquers the people of Israel, the people of Judah specifically, and carries them away to captivity in God's punishment for their idolatry and God's purifying of them of it and bringing them to turn back to himself. Then later on, Cyrus of Persia would send those same people back to the land of Canaan by God's plan and God's purpose. And here, something as simple as a tax brought Jesus' earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, from their home in Nazareth to Bethlehem. God puts the right people in the right place. Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father, was a descendant of King David. Matthew 1 explains this in more detail. It goes through a genealogy and shows the connection between Joseph all the way back to King David, an important figure in Israel's history. 
Now prophets had foretold that David's heir, David's descendant, the future king, would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 says this, But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Is this who Jesus claimed to be? In John 8.58, Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am, claiming to himself the title of God. So the decree of a pagan king and a local governor brought Jesus' family to the right place at the right time. And so Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Jesus is the, the son of God. Now, now, Joseph was not Jesus' earthly father. We see this from Matthew chapter 1, not his biological father. Rather, Luke uh, or Matthew chapter 1 tells us this. It says that an angel appeared to Joseph and to Mary. And it says, And Joseph, her husband, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In the same way, an angel appeared to Mary. And said this, Do not be afraid, Mary, Luke chapter 1, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So God caused Jesus to be conceived, according to Luke chapter 1, God caused Jesus to be born in Bethlehem, according to Luke chapter 2. Jesus is the Son of God. But Jesus is not merely the Son of God. He is the Savior. That name, Jesus, means Savior. Matthew 1 describes it this way. He was called Jesus, Savior, because he was the one who would save his people from their sins. And so Jesus' birth fulfilled God's plan. A seemingly random requirement from a secular official to have people be taxed caused them to be gathered back to the towns where their ancestry could be traced to. And God put Jesus' parents in the right place so that he would be born in Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy, so that he would be born of Mary, a virgin, to fulfill prophecy, that he would be the Son of God come to earth in human form. But Joseph and Mary weren't the only ones to receive a message from angels. We see, secondly, that the angels brought God's message to the shepherds. We see this in verse 8. In the same region there were shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And so the angels appear to these shepherds in verses 8 and 9. And, and shepherds seem like unlikely people to receive a message about the birth of a king. I mean, we, we saw all those things that the angels said, that he would be this ruler, this king, this heir of David, and yet 
Why would you tell that to shepherds? Well, Matthew's gospel reveals the response of Herod, the ruler of Judea at the time, to Christ. He wanted the wise men, when they came later, to tell him where Jesus lived because he wanted no threats to his political authority. In fact, he went so far as to kill all of the boys two years old and younger to make sure that he would get rid of this one who was foretold to be a king. And yet God preserved his son by sending his family down to Egypt for a time and keeping them safe. But why shepherds? Well, we'll see later because God often sends his message to those who are unexpected. Paul says in the book of Corinthians that there are not many wise, not many mighty, not many rich according to this world, but God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the, the wise, God is the mighty, and God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and the poor things of this world, the ones who are counted as nothing by everyone else, to shame the rich, because the message about Jesus is not about social status, intellectual ability, or athletic strength. It is about coming to God humbly, as we'll see in a moment. So God knew what he was doing when he sent the angel to proclaim this message to the shepherds. And the coming of the angel was unexpected. It frightened the shepherds. It says that they were terribly frightened when the glory of the Lord shone around them in verse 9. But the message is going to begin in verse 10. Do not be afraid. Why? The angel announced good news of great joy. He says that in verse 10. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. And so Luke 2 and verse 10, when it says, Don't be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. This news was for all people. And what is this news about? This news is about Jesus. What does it say? In the city of David... There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Four things that the angel's message reveals about Jesus and who he is. He is the one born in David's city. He is the heir, the king that was promised to come to rule as a descendant of David. He is the Savior, the one who deals with the sin of God's people and we don't like to admit it, but all of us are sinners, right? All of us have done something wrong, either because we've done things God says not to, even if it's a little lie, a little stealing, a little whatever it might be, that's a sin. And even if we say, I can't think of any of those sorts of things over here, none of us have lived up to God's standard. The Bible says, be perfect as God in heaven is perfect. Can any of us raise our hand and say that? I'm not asking you to, but can any of us raise our hands and say, I'm perfect as God in heaven is perfect? I think we all have to say no. And that's why it's so essential that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Christ. This is the one who had been foretold that would come for the people of Israel. The, the fulfillment of a long series of prophecies throughout the Bible that began way back in the Garden of Eden with Genesis 3.15 where it said that the descendant of the woman would defeat Satan and sin and death. Here we see who that one would be. 
And then finally, Lord, was an acknowledgement that this child was not any ordinary child. Was he really and truly a man? Yes. But he was God in human form. He is God. He is ruler of all. The message to the shepherds, I think, also has this implied command for them to go and find him. Verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You say, how's that a command? Because they're not going to find him if they stay in the fields with their flocks, right? They have to go and search for him and look for him. There's a message of good news. The good news is about Jesus. The good news requires a response. Go and find him. Many angels then praise God about what is taking place. Verse 13, there appears a multitude of the heavenly host. These are angels praising God. And what's their message? How are they praising God? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So who gets the praise for all these things that are happening? God does. And who is it that receives this message? Who has this peace that is described those with whom God is pleased. Who is God pleased with? Sometimes we think God is pleased with us if we are good people. Sometimes we think God is pleased with us if we do kind things to people around us. Sometimes we think God is pleased with us if we just try to live a good life. But the reality is we all still have that problem of sin. And so try as we might to live a good life, be kind to people. None of that can undo this problem that we have before God, that we are all sinners. How then can we deal with it? How then can we come before God? In the book of Hebrews it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because the one who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is one who rewards those who diligently seek him. What was the message to the shepherds? Good news about Jesus. Go and find him. What does God call each one of us to do? Believe in me. Seek after God. But not in any sort of way that you feel like through Jesus. We cannot please God by trying harder to be nice people to give more money away to people who need it, to uh, follow all of the requirements and expectations of what it means to be a good person according to our family or our society or whatever else, we can only please God by coming to him through Jesus. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. And we have an example of this sort of coming and following and paying attention to God's message in the shepherds. The shepherds obeyed God's message. Verse 15, they began saying, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that God has made known to us. God had told the shepherds where to find Jesus. We saw this in verse 12 and verse 15. They said, let's do it. Verse 16, they came in a hurry. So they heard God's message. They accepted God's message. They acted on God's message. 
They go and they find him in verse 16. Mary, Joseph, the baby as he lay in the manger. And so then they proclaim this message that God has shared to them with the other people around them. Verse 17, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And there's two responses we see in verses 18 and 19, perhaps three if you include verse 20. Those who heard it wondered at the things that were told them by the shepherds. Now, the, those who heard it seem to be more than just Mary and Joseph. Because we see Mary's response in verse 19. Well, how would it have come about that they talked to more than just Mary and Joseph? Well, think about this. They're out in the fields. They come into the city. It's not a huge city. It's a small town. And yet they have to find the place where Jesus is. They're asking people. They're saying, angels appeared to us and they gave us this message and we're looking for him. They shared this truth. And everyone who heard it wondered, what is it that God is doing? Verse 19, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. So there are people who are wondering. There are people who are pondering. And then verse 20, the shepherds themselves are rejoicing. They glorified and praised God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told to them. And then verse 21 ties back with God fulfilling his plan in that his name is called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so we look at all of these verses, and I know I've, I've thrown a lot of verses at you this morning, so I don't necessarily expect you to remember all of the things that we talked about, but here's something that I want us to think about. This all seems long ago and far away. What does this have to do with you and me? First of all, since most of us will celebrate Christmas, is any part of that Christmas about Christ? We all have different expectations about what a good Christmas looks like. And I would say that, as I said at the beginning, spend time with family. Decorate your house. Uh, hopefully you've already done that. I know there were times in, in my family growing up when we were still doing it at this point in December. Um, do those things. But if you do those things and you fail to remember Christ, I think we've missed the point of the opportunity that we have this time of year. There's no command in the Bible to celebrate Christmas in the way that we do it today, but it is a good thing for us to reflect on Jesus and who he is at any time throughout the year, not just in December. Secondly, I want you to think about the fact that the birth of Jesus is not the most important thing about him. And it is the one that gives us the warmest feelings, the, the happiest sense of community, perhaps. And yet, if we stop there, and in our minds, Jesus was a baby born long ago, and that's all we know about him, that's all we think about him, we've missed a lot of what the Bible has to say about him. The baby of Bethlehem grows up, and he becomes the ruler of all the universe. Philippians 2 says it this way, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what about you? What's your response to this baby 
who becomes king who will come back someday. Looking back over Luke 2, do you wonder about Christ's birth like the people who heard the shepherd's message? Do you ponder what God is doing in this passage like Mary did? Do you glorify and praise God like the shepherds did? Have you believed the good news that was announced by the angels? What was it? Jesus is King, Savior, Christ, Lord. Do you confess, agree with this truth today? Let me illustrate it this way. Many of us are going to open gifts over the next few days. The Bible says that God gave Christ to the world. John 3.16, God loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Someone gives you a gift. You're going to pull out your wallet, try to pay for it? No. That would insult the person who gives the gift. And in the same way, we can't repay God for his gift. But that's sometimes what we try to do at Christmas. We say, God, I know you've offered Jesus, but let me just add a little bit to this. Here's 50 cents. I know this was a $50 gift or a $100 gift, but here's 50 cents. Here's a dime I picked up off the ground. Here's my effort to make it that I've earned this in some way. How insulting is that to God when he has offered Christ? Here is everything that we need. He freely offers it to us. We have to receive that and that alone, nothing of ourselves. But we have a choice. We can accept this gift that God has offered or we can reject it. And sometimes we look at that as as kind of an either or. I could do this or I could do that. But John 3.36 says this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but God's wrath abides on him. And so the choice lies before us. We can reject God's gift of Christ, and we face God's wrath, God's anger, God's punishment, because he said there's only one way to me, and if you reject that way, you're not going to find me. You're not going to reach me. You're not going to come to me. It's only through Jesus. Rejection might look like, I'll make my own way to God. I'll try a little harder. I'll do a little better. I'll turn over a new leaf in the new year, and I'll come to God. Rejection might look like, I'll do it later. Right now I'm really busy. I'll deal with all these things later. I know they're important, but I'm just swamped right now. I'll deal with it later. Rejection might look like, I don't, I don't really need God right now. God is good when you're going through hard times and ups and downs and all of that. Life is good. I don't need God right now. Whatever our reason for rejecting Christ, the result is the same. God's wrath abides on us. But what did it say in verse 16? Whoever believes on him has eternal life. And so if we believe on him, how will Christ respond? Let me close with these words from John 6, 37 to 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. This is the will of the one who sent me, that all he gives me I lose nothing, but raise them up on the last day, 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Whatever you do in the next few days, whatever you do when you go from here today, make sure that you believe in Christ this Christmas. Don't go through this time of year, this opportunity to pause and think about all these things without making the choice to believe the message that God has proclaimed about Jesus, to allow that to transform your life and to receive the hope that God offers. Let's pray. Lord, the shepherds came with a before to see Jesus with a simple response of trust and faith in you. They listened to the message of the angels about who Jesus is, and they eagerly went to go find him. Lord, sometimes we're not that eager to go and to look to follow you. There's so many obstacles in our hearts and minds to following you, to living for you as we should. We think that we can do it on our own. We think that we can do it better than you did it through Christ. We think whatever it might be, Lord, we pray that you would clear away all those obstacles that we would know before we leave here today that our trust is only in Jesus and who he is and what he has done, that our hope is only in God's way, not in our way, and that we can rejoice at Christmas remembering the birth of one who would deal not only with the lack of hope of God's people long ago, but with our own need for hope and deliverance and freedom from the sin that rules our lives apart from you. Lord, we pray that you would be honored by our response to these truths even today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.